Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, hello. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. Have you ever heard the term soul-crushing? Mostly it's used in connection with people's work. People talk about how their work is soul-crushing. It, it depletes them inside. Uh, the Gallup organization uses a, a less theological term. It call, talks about employee engagement. And they've been studying that since 2000, and they find that about two-thirds of the American workforce is involved in work that is not engaging. That is, it doesn't pull out the best of who they are. And we would talk about that in many cases as soul-crushing work. So how do Christians in the workplace, particularly those who are in places of responsibility, keep that from happening? If you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, if you're a manager, if you have any authority at your workplace over anybody, today's podcast is specifically designed for you because you actually have an opportunity to influence and touch the souls of the people who work for you. And I can't think of anybody who's better qualified to talk with us about that today than my friend and a friend, a longtime friend of the Hendricks Center, Steve Ramzur. Steve is a senior executive in the real estate industry. And Steve, as I understand it, you have roughly, what, 4,000 people that you're ultimately responsible for? Uh, give or take, yeah. So that's an awesome amount of responsibility. And, and, and maybe before we get into this this whole discussion. Just give us a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate, and and the kind of uh, position that you now hold and, and what you're responsible for. Sure, Bill. Good to see you. It's a, a blessing to, to be with you via Skype. And I started off in the real estate industry uh, cutting grass. <laughs> My dad owned a real estate company, and he's a real retired military, but he owns a real estate company. And my brother and I started a lawn mowing service and we would cut the grass at his shopping centers and apartment complex and i can i'll never forget my dad calling us on a friday it's a you know an august day in san antonio beautiful balmy 106 degrees and he uh calls us back out to the the apartment complex to show us that we missed a couple spots and pick up the the trash and whatnot so that's where i started the real estate businesses was really in the in the family business and then went and earned a bachelor's degree in urban planning, construction management, and master's in real estate from Texas A&M University, and started off as an appraiser up in Seattle, and then transitioned really into a broader role within real estate, where now I'm the divisional president of a Fortune 500 company. Wow. So, you know, most people would think, okay, all of these people that are in your company, some of them go to churches, some of them don't. Uh, you know, what business is it of, of yours as to whether or not their souls are in any way benefited by working in your organization? Yeah, I think I look through the lens of, of love. That That's really my primary lens of thinking about work. Um, you know, greater love has no one than this than he laid on his life for his friends. And and I think about the the people that, that work with me and, and I work for and that, that report to me as individuals who all have unique needs, um, who all have, we're living in a broken world, 
And my job is really to to love on them and to to give them every opportunity for for success. Well, that's great to hear. I, I, I want to press this point, you know, further for our, our listeners today. When I talk about how, as a person in authority, you actually have an opportunity to uh, touch the souls of the people that work for you. Think about mm-hmm. it this way. If somebody comes to work and their experience of work is that they, they first of all, may not be in a job that fits them, and so yeah. they're not doing well, and, and they, they don't see how their work contributes to anything larger, you know, any, any bigger picture. And furthermore, their coworkers are nasty people, and, and they don't get along with them. And then they feel like their boss isn't really for them and is a, is a mean individual. Um, and they're not getting paid all that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to take all that negativity home, yeah. and it's going to yeah. influence how they relate to their wife you know, how they uh, parent their kids, you know, they kick the dog, etc. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if somebody comes to work and they feel like, wow, this job that I have, you know, it's it's not the perfect job, but I really can see how I'm contributing to something that's that matters. There's a mission here that I believe in. And, and yeah, you know, I have conflicts with my coworkers, but they get processed civilly, and we kind of work yep. them out. And we're getting somewhere, and I feel like my boss really is on my team, and and he's trying to help me succeed, mm-hmm. and 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 you know I I'm I'm not getting rich, but I I feel like I'm getting paid fairly for the kind of effort that I'm putting out here. They take that home as well, and it changes yep. everything. Yep, absolutely, and I that goes for us to culture, and we view culture as a living, breathing organism. It's something that we have to nurture and cultivate and and focus on. And we really encourage a, a holistic culture of, of health, uh, a culture where people can come to work, where they can be uh, fed with interesting uh, work. They can be surrounded by colleagues who genuinely have their best interest in mind. Um, you know, I think about my, one of my mentors, whom you know, whom I won't name, but one of my yeah. mentors who says, if you get the, the right people in the right jobs working together, miracles happen. And we, we, we intentionally work at that uh, within, the, within my company as we focus on, do we have the right people? Are they in the right job? And how can we facilitate them working together so that not only they can flourish and thrive within the workplace, but that, that, that then spills over into the community and for our clients. And so I think about flourishing in the workplace really under under three headings. If you picture a Venn diagram, you have the where and the when. And I think companies are pretty good about that. Where you work and when you get there. You work at you know 9600 McAllister Freeway and you get there at 8 o'clock, you leave at 5. The second is the what and the how. What am I supposed to be doing and how do I do it? Where I find the deficiency, that third ring in the in the Venn diagram, there is the why and the wherefore. Mm. What's the mm-hmm. mission? What's the the message? What's our purpose? Um, and that's how I think about work. And human flourishing takes place in that Venn diagram where those three circles come together. Uh, that's where you know where, what, with whom, and why we work. That's really where people flourish. Well, and I know you you and I have talked on different occasions about the fact that uh, employers today, 
particularly in the Fortune 500, big corporations, they're having a very difficult time figuring out how to uh, attract, recruit, and retain millennials. And mm-hmm. and you're really hitting on a sweet spot here because millennials, um, they want meaning and purpose now. Yeah. They want that why clearly identified, and, and they know where they fit within that why and that, that their personal why and the organization's why substantially overlap. Yep. Exactly. And if you think about where we are, just real quick stats around the economy, there are roughly 7 million open positions in the economy right now. About mm-hmm. half, a, half a million of those are in the manufacturing sector. Unemployment's hovering around 4%. If you have a bachelor's degree in a major metropolitan area, it's about 2.4%. We have the lowest labor participation rate in the last 50 years. Wages are, are rising. It's an interesting time in the economy. So we have to compete for that talent. Um, and in order to compete with that ta- for that talent, we have to make sure that we have a, a, a sustainable, engaging culture, that we have a workplace that is, that is healthy, um, and we focus on that. That's a big, big part of when I'm sitting in meetings with other divisional presidents of our company or the CEOs. That's what we're focused on is how do we create that environment where our people can flourish. So uh, a few sentences back, you used a key word here. You talked about intentionality, mm-hmm. that you're very intentional about building that culture and creating the why as well as the, the where, when, what, and how. Um, tell us some practical ways that that intentionality manifests itself in, in your work. Yeah, so if, if I think about I'll, I'll start with the where and the and the when, because I think that most companies can can dial into that. If you think about the engaging environment and ensuring that, and this is our core business, as you know, ensuring that that workplace is safe, there's natural light, you have good air quality within that space. Hmm. The space is 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 a is an engaging environment. So even the physicality of the space matters. Physicality of the space. If you if you think about and there are, are statistics around this, but we, the, the USGBC, which is the U.S. Green Building Council, has eight factors of a healthy work environment. And so we focus on those eight factors of a healthy work environment for our people and for our culture. It has to do with safety and, and with their health. So they go home, hopefully, with, with more energy than they came to work with at the end of the day. That's the where and the when. And I think that's a very practical thing for people to to sink their teeth into. Well, I, I love I love this. I'll let you go on, but I, I love this because what you're talking about here is is paying attention to the body. You know, sometimes in our culture, I, I feel like we get, you know, again, the theological word would be Gnostic, like we're just a brain. That's all that really matters. But we have bodies. We're material. And what you're saying is that body matters. It matters to God. It needs to matter to the employer and even the physical space in which we put people. That's great. That's exactly right. Most of the people that we work with is they've gone to stand-up desks. Um, people should be standing half the time, sitting half the time. They should be uh, moving around the office. We focus a great deal on wellness uh, within the workplace. So those are those are very practical understanding of of you know the gospel gives us a holistic view of life. Mm-hmm. The second is around the what and the how. And that's going to deal with your your tools, your team, and your technology. We have to give people the right tools, training, 
put them with the right team and the technology for them to feel like they're productive. I think that if you, if you think about human experience, it's really about engagement, which you talked about earlier. It's about empowerment. Do I feel empowered to make an impact? And then third, it's about fulfillment. Those are really the three legs of the stool of human experience. And we focus on, on that in the, in the what and the how. Now, Steve, what I love about this is you've laid out sort of this overview of building a culture. You haven't used one Bible verse to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And yet all of these things find their ways back to what we would call biblically-based values, it seems to me, in which you are respecting the fact that human beings are created in in the image of God. They were put here for a purpose, and you're trying to help them discover that purpose and live it out through their very work. Is that do I have that correct? You do, and I learned that from you. <laughs> you <laughs> no, you know, you're kind. <laughs> I spent, you know, a couple of years in Genesis chapters one and two right. and really looking at the at the what we call the creation mandate or the or the blessing that God bestows on humankind to bear his image as stewards, um, oikonomia over his creation. And I think about that in terms of really calling, covenant, and then cultivation hmm. in Genesis 1 and 2. But the, those words don't really work in, a, in today's workplace. Right. I can't talk to somebody about covenant. Um, but what I can talk to them about is, um, here's why your work matters. Hmm. Your work matters because you're part of a bigger team. We have a, a term that we use around sustainability that is building a better tomorrow. And that's part of what our company does. We take tons of greenhouse gases out of the environment. We, we go in and, and build up communities that need to be gentrified. We bring economic development and impact into communities so people have, have jobs. And that's a purpose bigger than just the individual. Yeah, I, again, I, I love what you're talking about. And I think for many who may be uh, viewing this podcast um, – Oftentimes, the way that uh, we talk about work, it, it, it's like, well, yeah, if I work with a bunch of Christians, then all this would kind of come together because we were all on the same page. But you work with many people who have very different worldviews than you have, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're finding ways to make it work for them and vice versa. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Love is a universal language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody understands love when they experience it. I think that's probably the the common denominator of of working across, you know, cross-cultural teams. I enjoy the fact that I work with people from we have we have 600 different locations around the globe. We've got 83,000 employees and I have the privilege of working with people from all different backgrounds. And I I thoroughly um, enjoy that aspect of my job. And obviously I'm a, I'm a Christian and I bring those biblical principles into my workplace and I look at them through uh, the lens of, of love. Well, and for many love sounds a bit soft word, but uh, let me put a different angle on this whole thing and talk about leadership for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm reading a book right now by a professor at Gordon Conwell called named Timothy Laniak, and the book is entitled Shepherds After My Own Heart. And mm-hmm. in there, he traces the fact that the, the image of a shepherd has been the, 
has basically been synonymous with the concept of leadership for as long as human beings have been alive. Now, in our culture, we don't really think much about shepherds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, and, and what we do think, we, we kind of get out of the 17th, 18th century, you know, sort of pastoral image, imagery and so forth. But mm-hmm. what he points out is that shepherds uh, have a very tough life because they basically live to take care of those sheep. Mm-hmm. And because the sheep are the economic lifeblood of everything. And if you lose a sheep, I mean, you've lost an asset. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you will give your life for a sheep. You know, he, mm-hmm. he lays down his life for the sheep. Yeah. And if you go through Scripture, you, you discover countless passages where the image of a shepherd is given uh, for leadership. And so what you're describing with love is, is, is sort of a, if I could put it this way, a tough love. It's like, look, I'm here on behalf of these other people. Mm-hmm. If they don't thrive and flourish, I don't thrive and flourish. And if I'm thriving and flourishing and they're not, then that's a big problem. Yeah, you're right. I'm probably one of the only uh, people you've had on this podcast who's been a shepherd. <laughs> that's right. My second job was um, I worked on a 7,000-acre ranch between uh, Medina and Bandera, and we ran a feedlot. Uh, wow. I had to mix 18 tons of feed every other day to, to care for about 1,000 head of lambs. And so I, I, know, <laughs> I know that life well. And it, it is an accurate representation. Um, you know, we hear a lot that, that they're unable to care for themselves, protect themselves, et cetera. And that was, that's really the job of the shepherd. But leadership is a core competence mm. for us. Mm. We, we have three primary values, which is teamwork, ethics, and excellence, and then leadership as a core competence. The last meeting I was at with our CEOs and regional presidents, we focused on servant leadership as a core competence for our team. I'm going through the reviews of my direct reports this week. And yesterday I finished a review. And after the review, I said, now remember at the end of the day, I work for you. Hmm. That's a profound statement. Uh, a name that may be familiar to some of our, our listeners is Ray Stedman. Ray Stedman was a pastor out in Palo Alto who uh, founded Peninsula Bible Church. And he was a very good friend of my father's, Howard Hendricks. And uh, I have a recording of Ray Stedman here at Dallas Seminary from back in 1984, and he was speaking out of Ephesians 4 mm-hmm. on, the, on the gifts that are listed there, and he got to the pastor gift, the pastor-teacher gift, mm-hmm. and he was making the point that that gift is actually distributed far more widely in the body of Christ than we realize. It's, you know, we typically mm-hmm. think of pastors as, oh, those are the, the paid professionals, these are the, mm-hmm. the clergy, as we call them. And, and, and clearly, we need people with those gifts in those, in those professions. But his point was, and then there's a whole bunch of other pastors out there that yeah. are in different professions. And he said, if you think about it, you can see why God would do it that way. Because in this world, so many people have pastoral needs. They, they come to work, and, and you know they've got a, a sick uh, uh, relative, or yeah. they've, they've got a troubled child or they're they're despondent in their soul and and right there in the workplace you know yes we got to get the work done but you're dealing with people and as henry ford said when you hire a hand the rest of the body comes with them and and his point was people show up with all of who they are to the workplace and you've got stories in abundance of of situations where you've actually quite apart from the work itself, which has to be done, is important, mm-hmm. is critical. The work matters. 
But yeah. then there's these souls, there's these human beings that you're right alongside, and you've actually been able to, in a sense, pastor some of them. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've actually um, officiated five funerals. I'll officiate my mm. second wedding next month wow. um, in April for a young man I baptized about five years ago. So I'm, I'm in doing everything that a, that a pastor does in a church setting. And what I find is that because we live in a broken world, when you genuinely love people, and by love I mean it's an intentional expression of love to them and not expecting anything in return, when the world crashes upside of them, they're going to come to the person who's loved them. Mm. They're going to share that, that experience, so they're going to look for that word of advice. And being in the workplace with people who may never enter a church, even on Christmas or Easter, um, that provides me a very a unique and humble, privileged position to pastor people. And I think that if you, you know, you're talking about Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, where Jesus is, you know, he sends on high, gives gifts to people, you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. It's the saints who are out in the workplace every day who are doing the work of ministry. And I look at the partnership of the of the team that we have, where I attend church here in San Antonio, and they're kind of like the the uh, the training and coaching staff, mm-hmm. right? The, the team comes in, they do concussion protocols, they maybe tape a wrist, they put an elbow in some ice, they encourage them, and they send them back out of the field. That's the partnership with what should be taking place from Friday to Sunday, Sunday to Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dovetails with the thought that I've often had that the success of a church is not measured by what happens on Sunday nearly as much as what happens on Monday and the rest of the week, that it's when, when the people in that church are out in the community and they're being the, the, the hands and the feet and, and, and literally the heart of Christ to people. Yeah, that is. And we, we are in a post-Christian world. It is antagonistic out there. There are, there are definitely you know, forces that, that come against us, but I think that really genuinely focusing on um, individuals and, and showing them, you know, what is the broader mission and message here? How is the work that we do transformational? And then you can you can tie that back into Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, the Bible opens with the story of a good God creating a good world and putting good people in charge. We decided to go astray, and, and, and the rest of the story goes from Genesis 3.15 on. But the story starts out with us as stewards and image bearers of God, as you said earlier, and whether or not people are Christians or not, they have an, they have a that echo of the fall, uh, the echo of the creation mandate inside of them, mm-hmm. and they long for that purpose. Yeah, and as you pointed out, when people are in significant need, like their soul is distressed because of the the circumstances of life, and everybody goes through that. Um, sheep really do respond to the voice of a shepherd, and if mm-hmm. they've come to know your voice as a shepherd's voice, that you care. And uh, this has nothing to do with personality so much as it has yeah. to do with um, setting things up to prosper the sheep, cause them to thrive. They can tell you're on their team, you know, that they instinctively move toward that as opposed to away from that when things get tough, right? That's exactly right. And one of the divisions that I, I look after that I, that I steward is a, a division we refer to ourselves as the, as the family, and we genuinely feel that way. Over the last 10 years, we've gone through deaths in the family. We've gone through 
cancer. We've gone through a lot of different things with different people, and we genuinely care for one another. And that is reflected in this this team. This is also one of the highest performing teams in the company. When people are fulfilled in their work, when they have the tools that they need, they're in the right team in the right position. That fulfillment is going to re- result in increased productivity, client satisfaction. All of those metrics will follow, but you can't start with those metrics. You've got to start with the person. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, you've introduced an important thought here, it seems to me. Um... When you use the word family, we have to realize that when people go to work, in a sense, the workplace becomes a, a kind of a second family for them, because mm-hmm. because you're with people side by side all day, you interact with them, you have this lengthy experience over time with them, and they mm-hmm. become kind of like a second family. And in addition to that, uh, when when you employ someone we don't just employ individuals in a sense we employ families because when somebody shows up to the workplace all of the ties they have to their family whatever it is even if they're single mm-hmm. they bring all that to work don't they they do and we actually we actually look at the 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 family or significant others holistically in terms of how we serve that that individual and i've learned that again from one of my my mentors here that the, the, the spouse, the significant other, is important to that person's performance at work. So we can create a work environment and we can send some of that fulfillment and goodness home, then it becomes reciprocal. If I, if I were to go home and tell Angie I were leaving this company, she would, <laughs> she would not let me do it because she loves the people that, that I work with. She knows the spouses of the people that I work with and, and she cares deeply for them. So she's she's feeling it at home. Like you're you're there at work all day, but when you go home, she's feeling it, isn't she? She is, and, and so are my kids. And I think you know Joshua, Grace, and Riley, and you you met you met Joshua, yeah. but but they've they've experienced that as well. We have been treated so incredibly well that that when I come home, I want to to give and serve uh, when I come home the way that I've been served at work. And I realize our culture is unique um, and and I, I wish it wasn't but I was up with my busy my daughter at uh, Baylor last week and her roommate had interned with us in the Houston office last summer she went on and on and on and on about our culture mm. and about the impact that culture makes on her 
how she can't wait to start with us when she graduates in May. It's a, it's a, it's a gravitational pull for people into our organization. That's fantastic. And this, what, what you're describing here, Steve, you know, we talk about uh, Christians who are leaders in the workplace. And many who think about that, they're, they're thinking, oh, okay, I guess that means I need to, you know, do Bible studies or, you know, pray with people or share my faith. And, and, and listen, all of that is fantastic if somebody's doing that. Mm-hmm. But what you're describing is going way beyond that. You're, you're talking about actually setting up a whole ecosystem, if you will, in which if I could put it this way, kingdom values, to the extent yeah. you have control over it, are emphasized, and those values, by being practiced, cause the people to flourish. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I would, and I would emphasize that I'm a very small part of it. Um, again, you know who I have worked for, and it, it comes through that, that senior, that leadership, hmm. who genuinely treats each person in the company as a very important human being first, Hmm. second as an asset of the firm, and then wants to extend that not only to their families, but out into the community. I had a conversation with a gentleman that I work with here before you and I were having this meeting about work we're doing in the community for people with uh, intellectual disabilities. And it's it's that kind of thing where it's it's a holistic view of life. That giving and serving goes out from us into the community. That giving and serving comes from the community back in to us. And and life has this holistic, uh, satisfying aura about it. And I don't want to paint a picture of yeah. of uh, perfection here because <laughs> because we, 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 we live in a fallen world. But at the same time, I think that culture provides that shepherding um, atmosphere, if you will, uh, for companies. Well, so let me let me let me take this down to the, to a, a more granular level, if I if I may, because you know you're at the top of four thousand people unit. You know you're at the top of the food chain, and I'm thinking about the 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 person who's way down toward the bottom. I mean they're mm-hmm. you know they're they're down there in the in the basement in the in the parking garage. You know, uh, processing people's parking tickets, or they're sweeping the floors, or they're you know they're they're doing paperwork, and you know they 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 have a they have a job, you know, but they don't have much authority. And I can imagine they hear all this and they're like, "Well, this is great if you you know are up where you can you're a mover and a shaker and you can cause all these wonderful things to happen." But I'm just a <laughs> I'm just a working stiff. Um, mm-hmm. what difference does this make for me? How, how, how would I ever cause anything to flourish? What would you say yeah, to that person? It's a, it's a great point. And most, as you know, the business that we're in, a lot of our, our team members are, um, in the parking garage or they are on, on sites and buildings or locations around the world where they're, they're, they're cleaning staff, they're engineering, they're maintenance, they're doing these types of things. And I think that it is the, the job, the responsibility of leaders in a servant organization to start at the bottom hmm. and to make sure that those individuals understand how their work contributes to the success of that given client or that given building or those employees within that building 
And then we, we if you if you build if you go from the top down, it's difficult. If you build from the bottom up, it's much easier to do. And I'll tell you a story. Um, one of the ladies who who cleans the building here, she's a remarkable woman. Every time I I see her, she says she she says, uh, "May the Lord bless you." But I was talking to her in our break room. She comes in and gets coffee or those types of things in our break room. And it was around Christmas time. And I said, I said, hope you're going to enjoy your time at Christmas. And she looked at me. She said, Jesus is coming soon. Mm. I said, yes, he is. And every day she's a witness everywhere she goes with a smile and a radiance um, for the Lord. And I mean, I think that that's probably the essence of, of that is it is the transformational nature of the gospel. Well, she's living out Colossians 3.23, which says, do you work heartily as unto the Lord? It's ultimately Christ whom you serve. He's, he's the ultimate boss. And even if your boss on earth is, as Paul says, is unreasonable um, and, and a jerk, if I could put it that way, um, yeah, you, you, you got to deal with that. But at the same time, you realize he's or she is not my ultimate boss. Christ is my ultimate boss. Yep, good point. And I think that it's our job as leaders to make sure that if there are those jerks in the in the chain of command, that we work with them, coach them, and if they're not coachable, we remove them. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not tolerated in our our culture. Um, that you, we uh, you don't you don't treat people that way. And again, that comes from from the top. Well, that's a good point. You know, the number one reason that people quit their jobs is they can't stand their boss. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever the number two reason is, it's way back there. Yeah. It, 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 the, I can't emphasize this enough. People's experience of their work is highly conditioned by the kind of supervision they get, the management that they get. And, and if you're a believer in Christ and you are in a position of responsibility and authority where you have people reporting to you, and you have influence over how the work is getting done yeah. and, and how things happen around here, which is what we call the culture. This, this is a real – it's both a responsibility, but it's, it's an opportunity to bring Christ-likeness into the workplace again without quoting any verses. Mm-hmm. It's about as practical as you can get when, when you – what the word you used earlier is to bring love into a, a work context, Right. It is, and you've mentioned earlier. I've, I've been thinking through the the soul crushing terminology. Mm. If if every believer, whatever role they are, everyone's a leader in the workplace. Whatever role you're in, if you would come, if we would come into the workplace with a a soul nurturing, a soul encouraging mm. focus, then I think our people will in turn reflect that and take that home with them at the end of the day and out into the community. Well, I want to go back to the shepherd image. You know, if we think of ourselves as shepherds and the people around us are – and I'm, I don't mean this pejoratively, but they're, they're sheep. You know, you go to Psalm 23, maybe the, the most well-known passage in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The image there is – is that this shepherd has taken great pains in an arid climate to find food, to find protection, to find water, because he wants that sheep to thrive. 
and and whoever the people are around us, we have an opportunity to cause them to thrive by the way we interact with them mm-hmm. and what we do in our work with them. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I enter every room that I walk into knowing that I'm probably the chief of sinners in that room. I'm mm. I'm fallen, I'm broken. And yeah, I'm not I'm not coming in with this idea of of I'm up here because I'm a Christian and the rest. I'm coming in there with the idea of how do I help them un, you know, experience that that flourishing that you just outlined in Psalm 23 or the beautiful foot washing that Jesus lays out in John 13. Mm. Um, you know, the the greatest in the kingdom is is the one who serves the most. And I think that bringing that kingdom ethic, as you said earlier, into the workplace is going is transformational. Well, you use the term chief of sinners, and I'm right with you there. And and I've, I'm thinking about my own team and, and the, the people that I have some authority over. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the challenges I face in my work is, is as a human being, the, the way my giftedness works is I'm highly independent. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I do my job really, really well, mm-hmm. but I don't think about how that, you know, touches other people. And so in coming into the Hendricks Center, I now work with a team, and I've discovered that that independence has some dark sides to it, mm-hmm. where I make decisions or I say things or I do things or I don't inform people or whatever it is, because mm-hmm. I'm not thinking in terms of team. Yeah. Talk to me about um, what what does a leader do when you realize, hey man, I've really blown it here. I'm I'm yeah. embarrassed. I, I dropped the ball. I, I've offended somebody. I've hurt somebody. I've caused a problem I didn't intend to cause. What do I do? Well, that one I can I have experience in, and I I, I think that the that authenticity is one of the the key characteristics of leadership is to step into that situation humbly and seek forgiveness and and reconciliation and there's no better place for the gospel to thrive than when those types of of situations occur and i haven't always handled it you know perfectly but i have made significant number of mistakes i tell people that in the last two years i've probably made more mistakes than any other point in my 30-year <laughs> um, career because i took on a, a big technology project the last couple of years, which is a, a very different animal from commercial real estate, where I, I feel like I'm an expert. And that really exposed a lot of weaknesses, blind spots, etc. in me, where I had to, as an independent leader, lean on a team who, who have expertise in an area that, that I don't. Mm. And so you're 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 raising a case here of what is very common in what we would call knowledge work. We in our economy now we we the 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 place of work has moved from the land to the mind. We we Peter Drucker said we employ knowledge workers and most everybody here in this podcast is a knowledge worker. And and that knowledge work is is great because it it it's more sophisticated so it, so it involves more of the of the person, but it also means that in many cases, as you pointed out, you're working with people who know more than you do, yeah. and they have skills that you don't have and gifts that you don't have. And so, what you're describing is a certain humility to realize how valuable they are, and and I need you, and I'm not, I don't have all the answers, and sometimes I not only don't have all the answers, 
I don't even know what I'm doing here, and I need their help to figure that out. Well, I can give you a quick vignette on that is that my CEO, my boss, asked me to take on this project a year ago. I, I started the project inauguration day, so kind of put a stake in the ground in terms of the timing. And I called the team together uh, in Chicago and the leadership of the team, and we laid out our roadmap and where we're headed. And I flew back and thought, okay, we're compass has been set. We have a true north. We're flying in formation, and this is great. Within 30 days, there was noise within the team. And I flew back up to Chicago, called the team together, took out a yellow pad, sat in the middle of the room, and I said, okay, let's identify what the problem is. And for about 20 minutes, I just listened. I filled in two pages on a yellow pad, and I realized there was a common denominator for the problem. It was me. Mm. And so I said, okay, have I heard you? And I listed out the different areas, and I said, okay, from this moment forward, I work for you. Mm. You are at the you, – you understand the architecture. You understand the analytics. You understand the programming. I don't understand. That's not my expertise. I work for you. And from then on, the calls that I had with those different leaders, I took to-do items from, from those calls. I didn't give them to-do items. They gave me to-do items. Mm. My job was – you know, in that Olympic sport of curling, the guy, the, the guys who were brushing ahead of the, the, the ball there, that was my job is to, to brush ahead of them, to, to make them efficient and help them do their jobs, do their jobs better. But it, as a 32 year veteran and divisional president of Fortune 500 company to sit there and hear that wasn't easy. Oh, I can imagine. But you, you really did realize your job was to make them successful because in their success, your success life. And, and yeah, it, yeah, it does. I mean, that that symbiotic nature of of the team. If I were sitting in a room around commercial real estate, I can hold my own with just about anybody. Sitting in those rooms where you have a scrum master, program manager, data architect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was the uh, most ignorant person in every room I sat in, <laughs> and so I had to lean on lean on their expertise. Well, you know, I'm reminded of the passage in Jeremiah where uh, God says to the exiles, the, the Israelites who are in exile there in Babylon, you know, to uh, seek the seek the welfare of the city where I have placed mm-hmm. you, because in its prosperity you will prosper. And and in a way, that's what you were in there. It's it's like, look, you got to make these guys succeed because in their success lies your success. But it puts you in that servant role, if you will, mm-hmm. that the the first shall be last, and and I'm I'm here to, in a sense, uh, give my life, as it were, uh, my time, the best of my mm-hmm. energies. I, I I'm here for your benefit, your prosperity. If 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 you do well with the gifts that God's given you, then things are going to go well, and if not, nothing's going to nothing good's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. And I think about what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, where he talks about a work of faith, <clears throat> a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. And I was thinking about that labor of love, um, and he, he kind of outlines 1 Thessalonians that in that structure. But the labor of love is a labor because I want to put myself first. Mm. I want to get the credit. You know, that that's what I want, and I have to put that aside for the benefit of the team, and I have to pass that credit to the lowest person on the team. I have to give the accolades to to the team as a whole, 
And that's a labor. That's hard. That's difficult, difficult to do. Well, labor, you know, you have to work at it, is what you're saying. They were back to intentionality. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're showing up aware that that's your mandate, and then I'm going to take practical steps to make that make that happen, right? That's that's exactly right. And I think that that's how we nurture, going back to your initial opening comment, soul-crushing versus soul-nurturing work. I think that as, as leaders, that's the way that we nurture the souls of our people. It also means, though, as a shepherd, that there are times that we have to fight off the wolves. There are times that we have to, you know, take a, take a difficult stand. Those those come as part of the, the job description. But nurturing the souls of the, the people that we work with in order that we can achieve our corporate objectives, but beyond that, something greater that we can impact the communities in which we live and, and work. Well, and I want to I wanna sort of wrap this up by by coming back to the core mandate from which all of this flows and you mentioned it earlier right out of genesis 1 the very first words that god gives to human beings you know the, the these these creatures that he's created the very first words that he says to them have to do with their work you mm-hmm. know he he basically defines their purpose you know be fruitful multiply fill the earth rule the earth steward the earth and, you know, the world on its own is not very fruitful. It just gives us raw resources. And only human beings can add value to those resources that cause the world and its people to flourish. And I, I just I think about how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians there are out there in the work world today. And they have, many of them, significant opportunities for influence Mm-hmm. Because they're in networks and webs of relationships that yeah. they they affect the lives of other people. Yes, they're doing the work itself, which mm-hmm. is critical. That work affects the lives of other people and ought to be done to the glory of God. In doing that work and in relating to their co-workers, they really have an opportunity to cause the world and its people to flourish. And that's really the vision that we're trying to sort of create here. I would agree. And if, if you're right, that's where the Bible opens is that flourishing picture, and that's where the Bible closes. Behold, yes. he saw one seated on the throne. He said, "Behold, all things are new, mm. and we will enter into you know God's kingdom here on earth, where we will again work with our hands. The lion will lie down with the the lamb. The child will lead them. This picture of work, you'll no longer have the curse and this flourishing." So. My thinking is, this goes back to the steadfastness of hope, if I'm going to begin, if the story opens with flourishing and in relationship with God and others, the story ends in flourishing relationship with God and others, we should pull those together into the here and now yes. as believers and think about how do we bring that together in our work and life today. That's exactly true. The, the instant that you become uh, a believer, the instant that, that, that you Put your faith in Christ, and you now have a new relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. The kingdom life begins at that moment. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity right. at that moment to begin living according to the kingdom values, right? Yeah, and in the garden, you have God walking in the cool of the day. You have this beautiful picture of relationship. You have that beautiful picture of relationship in the kingdom that is yet to come, and that beautiful picture of reconciliation and relationship today in our work, just as Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.15 were placed in the garden 
to, 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 to serve and protect, to, to keep that creation, we have the opportunity to walk with God in our work every single day. Every day we walk with God in this garden, His creation, uh, in relationship with Him, in relationship with those that He's put around us. Well, Steve, you've you've uh, you've really kind of opened our eyes to a whole new set of possibilities here today. I want to thank you for the work that you do and uh, and the people that you're able to touch and influence. I, I think the first time I met you and, and you told me about the work that you do, you were very graphic. You said, "Bill, you know, I'd been I'd been thinking maybe I needed to quit my job and and go get mm-hmm. a degree and end up, you know, pastoring a church or something." You said, "I realized." I already have a mega church of four thousand people. <laughs> yeah, and and well, you it goes per- back to the lunch you and I had, where you, you, you know, you made it, you helped me understand that, and that pushed me into a couple of years of study in Genesis one and two. So I'm I'm grateful to you and the Hendrick Center. Well, thank you. I mean, I love the fact that your purpose in life, in one sense, is um, to cause the souls of the people that that work with you to to thrive and flourish, and. Uh, and I just want to recommend to all of our listeners to the podcast today that that you know this is this is what the Hendricks Center really is is about. We're we're trying to to create more Steve Ramsers, if I could put it that way. So, Steve, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Bill. And listen, if you have a topic that you would like us to consider for future episodes of the Table, please email us at the table at dts.edu. And for The Table Podcast, I'm Bill Hendricks. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.